How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On NBA coming your direction, a special edition of Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the podcast, host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hope you're doing great today. First off, let me thank our sponsors for today's show, Athletes Collective, and our guests can prove to you if somehow you're going to believe him through the audio word that I'm actually wearing a Athletes Collective shirt while recording the podcast today. Also, uh, we'll tell you more about them coming up on the program at the promo code LOCKED. will get you 15% off your first purchase. And BetDSI, if you want to play the game, BetDSI has got it for you. $10 off with NBA10 as your promotion code there at Bet. BetDSI.com. BetDSI.com. All right, so let me jump in here for a quick second. This was recorded on Tuesday before the Jazz Portland game, posting on Thursday. Uh, That means that any comment that I made about the San Antonio Spurs prior to them playing the Warriors is actually no longer valid. No, Uh, just making sure that you know that when we talk about some things, we had not seen any game up to that point. All right. Hope you enjoy Kevin Pelton. Please send Kevin a thank you at K Pelton on Twitter for him giving us so much of his time and so frequent uh, amount of his time. And and then here's the explanation of why he's been on so frequently, other than that we just love him. For those of you that are locked on NBA uh, listeners, and I want to thank everybody who's dropped the five stars on iTunes and all the other places, here's a little trick for you. More often than not, unless it's a Sunday or possibly a Saturday that would impact Seahawk viewing on, on Sunday or Husky viewing on a Saturday, if the Jazz play the Blazers, a Kevin Pelton podcast is coming your direction. That's, that's how this works. So if you're wondering, if you look down the list, why in the heck is Pelton like three of the last eight podcasts that Locke's done? Does he have any other friends? The answer's no, and we've been in Portland an awful lot. So that's, that's the story. Uh, behind it and why Kevin Pelton. By the way, if you haven't already figured it out, uh, the Locked On Podcast Network has every single NBA team up and running for you. Now that the season is underway, Locked On Wizards was our last edition. So go make sure you subscribe to your favorite NBA team's daily 15-plus minute podcast delivering you all the news on your team. Subscribe and get that uh, podcast. All right. So I have a... Uh, this Pelton phenomenon has gotten out of control. Um, Kevin, welcome to the show. But I must tell you that 
I now get these emails from people that I don't even understand that I'm supposed to bring to you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you're you're acting in this case is the the go between, I guess. Yeah. So you and Laird Domain, who is uh, over from uh, NACD, which if you've listened to Locked On Jazz, is the uh, company that does my simply which is a really neat program that uh, is uh, sponsor of Locked On Jazz. It's actually you'd like it. It's to help brain building. It's like makes kids' brains smarter if they have learning disabilities problems or even if you're just a regular kid. They make them smarter. I've been taking – I've been doing it to try so I can handle conversations with you. Uh, yeah, that's a, a obviously a, a noble pursuit. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, he, this smart guy says to me, hey, I was listening to this podcast, and one of the conversations was about the weak link versus strong link argument, and I was wondering if you could have Kevin talk about it. And the argument is the analogy of weak link versus strong link would be that in if you replace the best player with a better player, are you stronger than replacing your least good player with a better player? This is somewhat interesting. If you look at the Utah Jazz, they've taken their weak links and made them all better, and people are in love with them. You were in love with the Boston Celtics last year numerically, I think to some extent because you felt like they had no weak links. But... This is a superstar league, and the only people that ever win the whole shebang are the superstars. So what's your theory on whether you're better off fixing your strong link or your weak link? Is that, am I represent, I'm not very smart. Am I representing this really smart guy's question all right? No, I think that's a good way to put it. And so another thing that he pointed out in that email, which you forwarded to me, is that uh, Malcolm Gladwell had referenced this on one of his revisionist history podcasts and had noted that basketball is a strong link game whereas soccer is a weak link game. And I th- a weak game or just a weak link game? <laughs> Not weak lean either, no. Oh. Uh, just other than the fact that their European influence of flopping destroyed the NBA for a while? Uh, do, I, do I get to make some reference to the Sounders being RSL for your Salt Lake City refer- uh, listeners here? Uh, no, but uh, I, I think the reason that... Ooh, that was the first ever soccer trash talk. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you take that scarf and you wave in the air at someone, boy, that's getting tough, man. Let me tell you, that's soccer trash talk. There's nothing quite like it. I, I don't think we want to get into the whole history of hooliganism in soccer, but uh, I think it's a little... Yeah, just, in Columbia, just in Columbia, it's a little dark. The own goal, and it's over. A little, a little darker than Own that. goal equals own head. Wow. Uh, anyways, I uh, my uh, my understanding of this, or the way that I would think about this, is that part of the reason that you can make the case for both ways in basketball is because it's actually somewhat different on offense and defense. So I think that part of the reason that soccer is seen as a weak link game is because of the fact that it it's easier to win in soccer by not giving up goals than by scoring goals, if that makes sense. Like at some point, you can score infinite goals you're still only going to win so many games. But, like, if you never allow a goal, you cannot possibly lose in soccer. So soccer is more about avoiding errors. Basketball, because of the fact that there's about a 50-50 split between the offense and the defense on any given play, is less dramatically tilted like that. But I think offensively, because of the fact that you can determine how much one player is involved in your offense, offense is more of a strong link game, uh, and defense, because there you are trying to minimize the errors and avoid the mistakes. I think defense is more of a weak link game. And then when you combine well, the I two, I would totally disagree with that. Really? 
Yeah. If you think about, like, San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard is so dominant defensively as an individual. And you think of Rudy Gobert in Utah, they're so dominant individually defensively, you're allowed to. And there was the study that was just done, who did it, that basically the key to good defense is forcing drives... And protecting at the rim. So, in other words, you're running people off the three-point line, which doesn't necessarily mean you're playing good defense, and you're driving them to an elite defender at the rim who protects the rim shot, and that that's what... So, I would argue that defense is strong link also. But but I, what I would say is that when I've... To the extent that I've looked at this, and I haven't looked at it in this specific way in terms of strong link versus weak link, for the most part, basketball is pretty additive. If you go from a guy who's, you know, if we're saying per 100 possessions, like RPM, ESPN's Real Plus Minus, or the Box Plus Minus BPM that's on basketballreference.com that tries to predict that using box score stats, you know, the difference between going from a guy who's a minus 4 to a minus 2 is the same, generally speaking, as going from a guy who's a 5 to a 7. Other than, you know, as long as they're, you're talking about an equivalent number of minutes and things like that. You can predict pretty well, as we do with the RPM predict- projections that I have done on ESPN uh, the last couple of years, just by predicting the number of minutes each guy is going to play and then, you know, how good they're going to be. There's not necessarily the kind – it doesn't matter, you know, whether that's concentrated at the top or if it's spread throughout the roster like last year's Celtics – uh, generally, that more or less works about the same. And I think probably at the margins, there are some cases where that's not true. But for the most part, you can assume that it's actually neutral. It's neither strong link nor weak link. By the way, I enjoyed this whole time because every time you said weak link, I just thought weak link, and then it made the conversation all the more fun. Um, just for those of us that have decided that it's fun to piss off soccer fans and hate the game, even though you don't really hate it. You know what you could do, though? If you change the rules of soccer, you could make it a strong link game. So if you made it so that only five players could go on the offensive or the defensive side, and so there's more space, which increased scoring and made it more difficult to stop someone from scoring, a player like Messi or Ronaldo would become more valuable, and then soccer is a strong link game. Yeah, and generally anytime you score more, it becomes more of a strong link game. So if you were to make the goal larger or make it more difficult for the keeper, all of those things I think would act to do that. I'm a fan of strong link games. That's, next time I have one of these intellectual scarf-wearing soccer lovers who tries to give me their hoity-toity reasons why I don't love the world's game, I'm going to tell them it's because I like strong link games, not weak link games, and watch what it does to their, watch their little intellectual, nerdy head pop off their shoulders as they can't grasp what I just told them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, by the way, to think about other sports in this context. Like, again, baseball... Pitching is probably more of a weak link game, and offense is more of a strong link game. I would quick one on baseball. Regular season yeah. is weak link. Playoffs is strong link, and that gets to the whole money ball of why money ball talks about how you can do something over 162 games, but the minute you get in a five or seven game series, you don't have a big enough data size to play money ball anymore. Yeah, although I mean, Oakland certainly you could say they had a really top heavy pitching staff in the the era that Moneyball was actually talking about and just didn't come through necessarily in the playoffs. But yeah, if you can pitch like Andrew Miller every other game or you know every close game, then suddenly that's a, that's a pretty big game changer from a pitching staff standpoint. I can turn baseball into a strong link game, get rid of batting orders and allow everyone to come up to the plate whenever they want. Yes, I know. It's convenient that I was, you referenced that earlier today. I happened to hear you reference that earlier today. I was able to, to connect that in there. 
you thought that might be where I would go. I've always, I actually, though, I'm a, played college baseball, big baseball, like drove across country in the summer and saw a game in every stadium. It's not like I don't like baseball, but for all my soccer jokes, baseball is equally as boring as soccer and has a problem. And I actually think when I compare, like if I'm going to go spend a bunch of money to go watch the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Golden State Warriors play because I want to see LeBron or I want to see Steph or I, they impact every play. I see Le, Whereas if I go pay a bunch of money to go see Mike Trout, the best player in baseball, I see him once an hour for over three hours. And if I get lucky, I see him a fourth time in the fourth hour. And that actually is absolutely contrary to everything that we have in our society of immediate gratification and anything else. And I, I, I joke about it all the time, but I actually truly think baseball's got to find a way for Mike Trout to get up 13 times a game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting when it speaks to the fact that there's just such limited star power right now in baseball where, you know, uh, Ethan Strauss from ESPN likes to talk all the time about, you know, Mike Trout could walk down the street and people wouldn't really recognize him. And whereas NBA stars have become just such huge global, not just national, global icons. All right, let's talk about this season a little bit. Uh, by the way, I just want to share a backstory. I think we kind of shared this a little bit last time. So Kevin and I hang out whenever I'm in Portland, and we always are going to do this podcast. And we never – last time we actually hadn't talked in a while, so we knew what we were going to talk about. We have no idea today, and the joke is pre- if, if a podcast is supposed to be just two guys hanging out, chatting – um, this is truly it. This is us no differently than we're in the car. The only problem we have is that we were in the car 45 minutes ago, maybe an hour and 45 minutes ago before lunch, and we had a good conversation, and I just said to Kevin, hey, what is that? We should talk about that, and neither of us can remember. So we'll see if it comes back at any point today. Um, I'm listening to everyone talk about this season, and I got it. The Warriors are going to win 86 games. And, and I, I mean, I truly think they're going to win 76 games. I, I think they, they can talk about all this resting thing. I think they're going to be 30-2 and two without even trying. Um, Cleveland, until someone beats LeBron, it, it seems impossible to consider the fact that it will be anything but a Warrior-Cleveland series. But, but I look at how – I think everything else in the league is working. There's only f- four teams right now that I can make a legitimate claim aren't going to make the playoffs. I think, I think there's 20 teams – in the NBA battling for uh, probably 10 playoff spots. And I think from a league-wide, if you're into the just kind of the journey of the season, this is as exciting and interesting as I have seen a season. Well, it's particularly interesting when you compare it to the last couple of years. You, know, you think of probably 2013-14 was the peak of this with the number of teams that were going into the season thinking – we're not interested in making the playoffs. We're here for the draft pick. Now, you know, that year it turned out that one of those teams, Phoenix, almost didn't and probably should have made the playoffs because of the fact that, you know, they were so good but just happened to be the ninth best team in a really loaded Western Conference that year. But this year there's nobody, I think, that is starting the season playing for draft picks. There are teams that, you know, just still don't have the talent to compete in terms of Philadelphia and the Lakers and Brooklyn, I, you know, are the three that stand out. Phoenix probably the fourth on that list. Uh, the other interesting thing that that does then is it creates a lot of incentive to be that first team that pulls the plug and starts looking ahead to the draft and trading guys off, whether that's Miami, uh, Milwaukee, maybe after the Chris Middleton injury, or just someone who gets off to a slow start unexpectedly. I still kind of Milwaukee in the playoffs, even with a Chris Middleton injury. Am I crazy? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, they, I just don't like any of the teams in the East. They, they, I mean, I feel terrible about it, but they have so little shooting now. I mean, Tony Snell is being looked at as the solution. He's like a career 35, 36% three-point shooter. Yeah, but 
Chicago doesn't have any shooting. In New York, I just do not. I don't think New York's going to be good. I mean, I, again, I get where if someone tells me I think New York's like Isaiah Thomas decided on NBA TV the other day he thinks New York's going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals, and he signed Jerome James. So I don't really consider that as an expert opinion all the time, um, and I'm still bitter for a certain NBC show that took place many, many years ago. Um, so I'll just keep taking these cheap shots since he took a large one on me on national television once a long time ago. Um, oh, yeah, I'll tell you. It's the uh, Vin Baker depression story on NBC when Isaiah decides to inform me that I don't understand what I'm talking about, and despite the fact that I was embedded in the team at the time. It's a good one, because um, you know it wasn't depression. Um, so anyway, side note that three people understood. Uh, as I said, it's just the two of us hanging out talking. Uh, like, the East has me buckle. Like, I, everyone likes Indiana, and I'm missing on that one. So when we have these teams, like, okay, so we have Isaiah likes New York. We have uh, Bill Simmons is talking about how he loves Indiana. Zach Lowe calls Indiana a guaranteed playoff team. I'm actually not sure I think they're a playoff team. What's curious to me about what's happening here is three or four years ago, it used to be you had these kind of thinkers thinking one thing and these kind of thinkers thinking something else. But I, Zach Lowe and I view the game very similarly. You and Zach Lowe view the game very similarly. I think you have Indiana out too. What is going on that has us with such divergent opinions when, frankly, the group think is very small inside our league? You know, this is, that's an interesting question. I, I do have Indiana in, by the way, but at 500 on average. So certainly a, a reasonable chance that they could miss the playoffs and probably better than the chances of them winning a playoff series, which I think a lot of people think about. So I, I think a lot of this is there is still a disconnect in terms of how people view, you know, the, the moves that Indiana has made uh, in terms of, you know, guys like Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague is a better offensive player than George Hill is going to put up better counting stats this year than George Hill. I'm going to say that with great confidence. Jeff Teague will have the better stats. better, he'll have more points per game and more assists, but he'll be less efficient. Uh, Somewhat less efficient. I mean, I think to me the bigger difference between those two guys is at the defensive end of the court. And and the fact that Hill is, you know, Teague had a really good shooting season last year. I think he'll probably regress a little bit. Over the last, if I use my pack ratings, over the last three years, George Hill's much better than Jeff Teague. Yeah, and I think if, I mean, I haven't looked at this. Not much better, but I think like .4 average compared to negative something. And I haven't looked at this specifically, but I think if you look at like offensive real plus minus or, you know, the the offensive component of my wins above replacement, I think it's pretty close between those two guys. It's not the Teague blowout that you would think looking at his box score stats and the fact that he was an all-star a couple years ago. But Hill is so much better defensively, and I still think people don't pay enough attention to defense. Like, there's all these conversations I hear where it's like, yeah, but what about defense? Um, and that, that I think, informs part of this. Again, Zach Lowe is probably the key about defense. I, I don't know where his di- difference is necessarily, because I don't know if I've, I've talk, heard him talk specifically about what he thinks about Indiana. But, you know, they, they've got – I guess the question is whether you think their offensive upgrades – outweigh their defensive downgrades because I think everyone will concede that Teague for Hill, Thaddeus Young for Jan Mahinmi, and then letting Frank Vogel go. and Frank Vogel for Nate McMillan statistically is an incredible change because Nate McMillan's Portland teams were not good defensively. They were just so slow that everyone missed the fact they were bad defensively. Frank Vogel's teams were unbelievable defensively. Now what's interesting about this is then that we 
you know, maybe they will be that good offensively because McMillan can figure it out. But if you look at the hallmarks of his good teams in Seattle and Portland, shooting, offensive rebounding. This team has more shooting certainly than it did last season because of the fact that you've now got Miles Turner playing center where his shooting is a, a relatively unique skill as opposed to a power forward. You know, it's a it's a plus for him, but not a huge one. You know, Thaddeus Young is not a great shooter, but if you swap him for Jan Mahinmi, you know, that's the big upgrade. But uh, the other thing that I, that strikes strikes me about Indiana, I'm sure it's part of your concern as well, is, okay, now you've got Teague. You brought him in to come create. So what's Monte Ellis doing when Jeff Teague has the ball in his hands creating? And then what's Jeff Teague doing when Monte Ellis has the ball in his hands creating? What about the fact that I want the ball in Paul George's hands and neither of their two hands? That's a, that's a good one as well. And then you take it the next layer. Okay, well, maybe you could stagger those guys and they'll run the second unit, except that they have Rodney Stuckey on the second unit, and he's that exact same player who can't play off the ball either. So that, to me, is one of the big issues here, where, again, if you look at those guys in a vacuum, they're very skilled offensively. But when you put them to those piece, puzzle pieces together, they don't fit that well. Chicago is a team you have out. But I have walked back in only because of this, where we started this conversation. I just think their bench is better than everybody else's. And maybe, you know, I'm overplaying Miritich and McDermott. And, but I looked through and I actually thought, okay, they can actually put 10 NBA players out on the floor, Michael Carter-Williams as a backup point guard. And you look at Indiana and you look at some of these Atlanta right now and you look at some of the other Eastern Conference teams, and I'm not sure they have 10 high, above average or above you know qual- regular rotation players available to them. Uh, so now Chicago can't shoot at all. It might be the worst shooting team we've seen in a long time on this side of Milwaukee maybe. Uh, so what's your th- wh- where does this work on the where we were a moment ago as we started this conversation with the various really smart things that I didn't understand just allowed me to make fun of soccer. Yeah, I mean, Chicago, to me, is probably the most interesting team from, like, a learning perspective. Like, can you find a way to make it work with so little shooting in their starting lineup? Because if Miritich is indeed coming off the bench, which it, by all accounts he is behind Taj Gibson to start the season, now you've got, you know, maybe 1.5 shooters combined in that starting lineup, maybe generously. You know, uh, Wade actually shot the three pretty well in the preseason, following up on the fact that he made a bunch in the playoffs last year. And the whole thing was like he started practicing them, which if that's true, then, you know, maybe you should have started to practice them earlier, Dwayne Wade, because it turns out they're useful shots. <laughs> but uh, that that could help them a little bit. And then the other, the other concern, so they've got that issue on the starting lineup. Uh, their perimeter defense in the starting lineup may be a big issue for them because Rondo did not play any defense whatsoever last year in Sacramento. And Dwayne Wade, uh, his effort uh, definitely has waned considerably at the defensive end of the court. So you've basically got Butler trying to plug all sorts of holes in the dam, and I think one of them is going to burst. But then uh, the second unit front court defense now is going to become an issue. Uh, Cristiano Felicio, if he's at center, he's a pretty good defender. But Miritich and McDermott together was not a good combination last season. And, uh, you know, they, they do have more shooting on that group around Carter Williams and whichever the, the starters plays with that second unit. But defensively, that could be a problem. And we don't know if Fred Hoiberg can coach. Uh, and if he is going to coach, this is not the team for him. 
So to his defense, all right. So I thought there was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like every now and then there's something that happens and you just like, if you get the real meaning of what just happened, it's hysterical. So the NBA GM surveys came out and they had the most improved team. And I think it was 76% Minnesota Timberwolves. And there has never been a larger statement about what they think of Sam Mitchell. Because <laughs> it's the only thing that Minnesota changed was their head coach. Like, they have almost no roster change other than Chris Dunn, who actually, if they trade Ricky Rubio, would probably make them less good for the time being. So it was just a complete, everybody across the NBA GM said, oh, if I can trade Sam Mitchell for Tom Thibodeau, I'm doing it. With that thought in mind, no offense to Jacques Vaughn or Scott Skiles, but why are we not having the same reaction to Orlando? Because Frank Vogel's resume is every bit as good and dominating defensively and impressive as Tom Thibodeau's. And frankly, Scott Skiles and Jacques Vaughn's resumes are pretty equal to Sam Mitchell's. Uh, I don't know if I would say that about Scott Skiles. I actually thought, by the way, that Sam Mitchell did got a little too much blame for what happened in Minnesota last year. I thought in the second half of the season, they were, they were play, doing what they should have done, uh, by all accounts, on the court. Uh, I, I think part of it is, you know, Vogel's offensive track record, not very good. And if you look at that combination, then with the personnel they have, this could be a, a really bad offensive team, I think. Is Vogel's track record not good offensively, or did Larry Bird just give him a bunch of inefficient players and ask him to make an efficient offense? Well, I think he gave him a bunch of defense-first players. Like, Roy Hibbert is not an efficient offensive player. He still was an excellent center in his prime because he was so good defensively. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to tease out how much of that then is the coaching, how much of that is the players, uh, how much of that is the head coach versus the assistants, because clearly Larry Bird feels that uh, Dan Burke, their lead assistant, was a larger, that they could, by retaining him as McMillan's lead assistant, that they could still have that same defensive benefit that they had with Vogel. So there's all these elements that go into it. But, yeah, you're right that we may be underrating the, the coaching upgrade. I, I think Scott Skiles, I mean, he's obviously done very well defensively over the course of his career. Last year, the Skiles rotation roulette was uh, difficult for Orlando to overcome, and he just had so little faith in their young players and so much faith in mediocre veterans that it really became an issue for them. All right, I'm just voting for Orlando. By the way, are you jealous? I mean, like, are you jealous of the Athletes Collective shirt I have on here today? I mean, you listen to Dunked On, and you hear, I mean, you hear about this a lot. Are you, are you thinking that the least I should do for you is go to Athletes Collective and get you a shirt? Uh, it, it would seem a nice gesture for all the times I'm on this podcast. All right, well, then I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to tell you about Athletes Collective while Kevin is choosing out which one of his new shirts he's going to get uh, here. Athletes Collective is a really cool company. It is an uh, athletic wear company that does not have a logo. All right, so what? Well, it means you save a ton of money, 40 to 50% off on all of this premium athletic gear at an affordable price because of no logo. That's right. The shirt I'm wearing right now that Kevin is jealous of is $19. Wait, I shouldn't tell you. Kevin, there's these really nice shirts. I'm going to buy you a gift. Come here. You can see which one. You can tell me which one you want. Come and choose. I'm going to buy you a gift because I'm going to use my promo code LOCKED and get 15% off. Would you like the V-neck, Astro Orange, Laser Blue, Midnight Blue, V-neck? Should I buy you more than one since they're only $19 and you probably deserve more than that? 
Which which do you have a preference? I could buy you the whole pack for sixty six bucks, and and really, be, you can get one of all four. There's the crew neck shirts as well, which I do have as well. I have those in the uh, navy blue, the midnight blue, rather than the V neck. But I'm wearing the V neck right now. And there's the nice athletic shorts as well. The laser blue one is actually already. They're just fifteen dollars for a high quality premium athletic shirt. And if you use the promo code locked, you get fifteen percent off. Your first purchase. Oh, you want the long sleeve? Oh, you want the sleeveless so you can show your guns. <laughs> yes, that you've, you've nailed it. Pelton has no guns. <laughs> you really have me pegged. So next time you go running, since you're a gunless runner, <laughs> yes. in a liberal state of Oregon, that sounds like people would approve. It, it's a perfectly, perfect fit. You can tell what you want. I'm ordering you at Athletes Collective. Uh, the crew neck, I think. Which color? Midnight blue. All right. Crew neck, midnight blue. Coming to Pelton. We might even get him a pair of shorts as well. That's all Athletes Collective. Go to athletescollective.com. Promo code locked. Back to our conversation. Uh, I started that whole thing about how great this season's going to be, but you actually don't think Cleveland's playing Golden State in the finals. I don't. I, I mean, obviously, I think that there's a very real chance of it because of the fact that those are the two best teams in their respective conferences. And that's what – if you go on to ESPN.com and they have, like, the uh, the – writer's picks uh, next to my name are Cleveland and Golden State. So those are my picks individually in each conference, but I don't think that them playing each other in the finals is the certainty that people think it is. So if I gave you your choice of Cleveland, Golden State in the finals or any other matchup, what are you taking? I'm taking any other matchup. And what's interesting here... 51-49 or 70-30? No, more closer to the 51-49. What's, what's interesting here is that if you take a look at the Vegas odds of Cleveland winning the East and Golden State winning the West, they're both 1-3, uh, to three, which is enormous favorites. But it implies, once you account for the house edge, that they're going to win their conferences about a little less than two-thirds of the time, each of them. And if you multiply that out, it's less than 50%. In fact, I think it's about 42%. So even, so even Vegas, even the people think it's less likely than not, even though everyone thinks in their head that this is inevitable. So in other words, there, so you're saying there's a 42% chance that somebody other than Golden State or Cleveland is going to be in the finals? No, that's a 42% chance that we do get a Cleveland-Golden State oh, final. So you think there's a 58% chance that somebody other than Cleveland or Golden State's going to be in? I don't know that I necessarily think it's exactly 58%, but I do think it's more than 50%. And, and that's what's interesting to me. Again, this is the gambling market thinks that it's 58-42 against, even though everyone thinks it's inevitable. So I'm not as smart as you, and I wish my brain would turn off and I could just like slow down sometimes. Do you have the same problem with this little brain of yours? Uh, I have a tough time sleeping sometimes. <laughs> okay, just was wondering. <laughs> um Allocate, you have 58 chips I'm giving you, since we're using Vegas as the analogy. This is fully non-podcast. This is really just two guys hanging out. Okay, 58 chips. Allocate them. So which other teams are going uh-huh. to How many chips are you giving each team? I'm giving a lot of chips to the Boston Celtics because I think really Cleveland is somewhat more vulnerable than Golden State. I mean, I mean, somewhat obviously, I think Golden State is the best team. And I think people are underestimating the chances that either A, LeBron can't do what he did last year in the playoffs again, which I think is not likely, but within the realm of possibility. It has to happen at some point. Yeah. And I think he's at 40, 
He's going to cross 40,000 minutes this year, regular season minutes. I did a study many years back, and I, I'm assuming that the numbers have skewed uh, as players have gone better. But my study many years back was that at 35,000 minutes, players begin to fade. And at 40,000 minutes, I'm not sure you can find a player who was the lead dog on a team that led his team to the championship. The only one that gets close is uh, that Boston team had such a, with Rondo, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett, I think had a, has a mixed match. But I'm not sure any of them were over 40,000. So I'm not sure you can find a player that was over 40,000 career regular season minutes that was the lead dog on a team that went to the finals. Uh, it, it, there might be, it's kind of skewing a little bit. So there's legitimacy to the LeBron argument here. But back to your 58 chips, where are you putting them? Yeah, uh, so the other reason I would say Boston is because of the fact that even though they're, I think that they are the one team that's a contender that has a chance of making a trade that could really swing things. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be someone like Jimmy Butler, but, you know, if they add Danilo Gallinari at the trade deadline, does that get them in the mix where suddenly, you know, they beat Cleveland a third of the time? Yeah, I think that's possible. Why do you hate the Raptors? I don't hate the Raptors. I actually think the Raptors Why are. Why do you hate we are, we are the North? I actually think the Raptors are a little bit underrated right now. Like my projections for a while there, before Jared Solinger's injury, Toronto was higher than Boston in my in the RPM projections. Why did Jared Solinger make them better? Because his backup is a rookie power forward who was drafted 28th. And <laughs> I think that's so we're back to the weak link theory. Yes, yes, there we are. <laughs> wow, we're really tying this whole thing together quite impressively. Toronto is interesting to me. I think if they're going to make a run at Cleveland, the way that they would do it is either Norman Powell or Terrence Ross, or maybe it's just Corey Joseph in a really small lineup. One of those guys steps up, and their primary lineup against Cleveland in the playoffs is Damari Carroll at power forward and Jonas Valanciunas in the middle. So you're 58 chips. Okay, so it's like 25 to Boston maybe. Uh Maybe like ten to ten to Toronto, I suppose ten to the Clippers because I think they have a better chance of getting to the conference finals than San Antonio. Even though I think San Antonio will have a better regular season, and I, I just don't, I don't, I just don't see how San Antonio can make it work against Golden State. That that seems like a terrible matchup to me. All right, so San Antonio is interesting because I got who they are. Don't misunderstand. But I look at them, and part of their brilliance I don't see right now. And, like, when LaMarcus Aldridge is their longest-standing big on their roster, Pau Gasol, Dwayne Dedman, and David Lee are their, other guy, are their other bigs. Jonathan Simmons and Kyle Anderson are now their bench guys. Patty Mills is either their starter or their backup, depending on it. Manu Ginobili's there. And, and, and honestly, being in Utah and spending a month with Boris Diaw, I actually think that personality – Losing that personality has got to be huge to that locker room because he's just – he's the Pied Piper. Everybody follows him around and wants to be with him. And I promise you that personality had to be a huge part of that locker room just because he's that kind of guy. I then – so I, I, I think I'm on this island that something's not – that I can't buy San Antonio the way I want to. And then I'm listening to Rob Mahoney, and he suddenly starts saying the same thing. And then I kind of hear the same thing about Zach Lowe. So it reminds me of this, Okay. It reminds me when I listened to a million podcasts before the San Antonio-Oklahoma City series last year. And if you listen to every analysis that everyone gave, they told you all the reasons Oklahoma City was going to win. And at the end they said, yeah, but I'll take the Spurs in six. 
And I feel like we're a lot of us are in the same place right now that everything in the world is pointing to us that something that this San Antonio roster is not quite right. But we have such respect for them that we aren't willing to concede that they're, they're not right. And where, where, what do you, what's your viewpoint on this? Well, we've we've been here before. I mean, you go back to 2008 and San Antonio loses the conference finals to the Lakers, and it's like, okay, well, that was their last hurrah, but it was fun. And then, you know, with five years later, they win the championship. So, you know, people get tired of making the same mistakes over and over again. Which I, I don't, definitely. But, I mean, I, I can see a scenario where San Antonio is still a 60-win team, just as good in the playoffs. But I can also see that that scenario that you were talking about because they've lost a lot of infrastructure. They won last year, I would say, primarily more than anything else with their depth, and their depth just isn't the same this season. And then the other thing I feel like it's interesting to me when I'm watching like broadcasts of games and there's this discussion of Tony Parker still in the elite point guards and it's, he's just not there anymore. He's not that guy anymore. I mean, he bounced back a little bit last season, I think, but there's a chance that this could be the year where they ultimately confront the need to make a change there with replacing him with Patty Mills. I also just have such utter respect for Duncan that I just think that those type players. Now, if you study baseball, by the way, those type of managers like a Duncan, when they leave, the teams last for another year. And then it's the year after that that culture falls apart. I have we, we've had so little reference point to where that is in basketball that I don't I don't know. And it's hard. I feel like in basketball, maybe the player is the most important thing in your culture, whereas in Baseball, the manager probably is. So I don't, and in football, I have no. Maybe the quarterback is. I don't know uh, how these haven't really looked at it that way. But I do feel like there's. I almost kind of feel like just Tony and Monum. I just like there's got to be an emptiness to them of what they once were doing, and just the sign that it's over is so obvious. It's got to have some psychological impact. Maybe not. I mean, is the only comparison to this like Russell retiring from the Celtics? Is that it? Stockton Malone came to mind. Malone leaves, yeah. and Stockton sticks around for. You know, but also at that point, you're not a team that had been winning 67 games right. in a season. You, know, you have that playoff series against Sacramento that kind of is clearly the end of all of it, um, and it was as, as John retired. Um, so I, I don't know what the, you know, and the Lakers, you know, are only so happy to be done with the Kobe era. <laughs> That's a slightly different situation altogether. <laughs> he torpedoed the entire franchise. There's no culture to be left. Uh, now the culture is Luke Walton, I think, isn't it? I know. I've talked to some coaches around the league who really like the way they're playing. Uh, they've been very entertaining to watch in the preseason. D'Angelo Russell has been turned loose. Timofey Mozgov, well, they dramatically overpaid for him, does give them an actual role threat this season. So I don't think they're going to win that many games, but I'm excited to watch them. If they're suddenly have... So what do you think the eighth playoff win total is in the East and the West? So it's interesting. It's actually pretty similar, like the eighth-ranked teams in the projections in both both conferences are both around 40 wins, at least in the RPM projections. But I, I do have a feeling that it'll be higher in the West just because of the fact that I think those teams have moves to make potentially. You know, Minnesota, I think, is probably going to exceed those projections but don't take coaching into account whatsoever. So to go back to your point earlier, I think they will outperform those projections. And then just the... 
the sheer number of teams and the injuries, like, you know, one of Memphis or Dallas might stay healthier than we expect, and they'll win more games. And then, you know, the, in, in the East, it's harder for me to see that upside in that tier of teams. Like, I don't think they're going to be that much better than 42 and 40, no matter what. We'll continue this conversation in a second. Let me tell you about BetDSI. If you want to play in these games and get a little action on, then this is a site for you to strongly consider. BetDSI.com. Over 20 years in the business, top-rated business, safe uh, for you. They can do it all, football, basketball, race books, politics, great customer service, 100% bonus on your first deposit. Plus, if you use the promo code L O, or excuse me, you use the promo code NBA10. That's NBA10. They will give you $10 just to try the service. Fast and easy payments of winnings, hundreds of football and basketball wagers to choose from. You also can get UFC. If you want to get in a little Trump Clinton wagering at this point, uh, just figure out whatever odds are different than 538.com and go to work there. Uh, Bet DSI, uh, live in game wagering on all football, basketball, other majors event. You can virtually play everything at betdsi.com. Remember, use the promo code NBA10. Get your free wager and start winning today at BetDSI. So 538 on that had the eighth, eighth spot in the West at 45 wins. Why do you disagree with that? Uh, I just have have lower projections for that ranking. I mean, I think you know, I think we're probably pretty similar, like one through seven, but it's just eight we disagree on. So because they had 45, I think, and a huge drop to right. to nine, which. Always is misleading, by the way, because if you think about making the playoffs, doesn't mean you actually have to have the wins of the eighth guy. It means you have to have one more than the ninth guy. Yeah, and it's interesting. So they're using uh, the box plus minus projections that I talked about earlier instead of the the real plus minus projections I'm using. And one of the biggest discrepancies, there's a couple of big ones. Chicago is one of them. They're they're much higher on Chicago, uh, but Minnesota, who 538 has, I believe, at 46 wins as compared to 38 for RPM. And when you consider that, that doesn't factor in coaching maybe i'm going to allocate one of one of those chips to minnesota just in case oh carl anthony towns is the mvp they are like a top four seed like uh, crazier things have happened all right i want to wrap this conversation because uh, i had uh, in the previous edition of locked in nba I had tim roy and john ireland and eric hasseltine on the show together and we one of the last conversations we have is what player we think of differently i always like this conversation i don't know if numerically you have in your system which i always mispronounce shaney shaney system uh are you able to project which players we're going to think of differently at the end of the year? But in your mind, I have two guys who I think, and I actually think there's a team that we're all kind of missing on a little bit here that we haven't talked about today, so I probably will jump back into them at some point here before we're done. But what are, are there players that you viewpoint are going to, that we're going to think of differently than we do right now? Hmm. I don't know if I know what Shaney says about this off the top of my head because I've mostly been considering like most improved, which is a slightly different conversation. It's more about like who's going to look more impressive. So I've been picking Dennis Schroeder, who I do think will probably play somewhat better. But you like him? Eh. So Atlanta's interesting to me, by the way, because Atlanta is was the number one defensive team in the league post January one last year by a fairly significant amount. And I think they got better defensively in the offseason than with the Schroeder fatigue. I don't like Schroeder offensively and Dwight Howard over Al Horford. So why aren't people – so that's why I have Atlanta as my fourth team in the East because I think they're going to be a top-five defensive team in the league. And so I put them at fourth in the East. But am I missing something? Am I, and then I see their bench, and I'm a little nervous about that projection because they have no depth at all and a rookie, 27-year-old rookie point guard. Uh, but what's your – where am I – 
right or wrong on Atlanta, and then we'll get back to the players. Well, I actually like that backup point guard, Malcolm Delaney. I think he's going to have a nice season for them. But, yeah, I mean, to me, what's, what makes Atlanta so difficult to project going forward is it's going to be such a different style. Because when they were that number one defense in the East in the second half of the season, they were doing it by trapping. They were, you know, hard hedging a lot on the perimeter because in Millsap and Horford, you had probably the most mobile group of two traditional big men in the league. You know, then maybe maybe when Boston plays like Olenek and and Amir Johnson or someone like that, there's there's probably a couple other ones, but that's what was so great about them. That's not Dwight Howard, who is going to be in the paint and dropping against pick and rolls. So they've got to play a totally different style, and then offensively, it's a totally different style too, because Howard now is going to be that roll man to the rim, and uh, as as opposed to Horford, who is picking and popping and trying to create a lot of space for Jeff Teague at that point in the pick and roll. Now, now it makes shooting. you wonder if the GM talked to the head coach. Well, there's there's a isn't the GM the head coach. Yes. There's a coordinated narrative in the organization that, you know, we needed a role man. We needed this different dimension, which is interesting. It's, it seems kind of like one of those things where, like, you know, when you fire the coach, you try to go get the exact opposite, even though they didn't fire Horford. Like, they, they would have happily if you resigned him if they could, if you would have uh, resigned for the contract they were offering. Uh, but the, the other thing here is, like, Howard has looked really good in the preseason. My question is, is he still going to look that good in December after 20 games of wear and tear? Because he wasn't physically right last year in Houston. As much as everyone wanted to pin it to the chemistry issue with him and James Harden, and you know, just people don't like Dwight Howard, so he's going to get the blame for everything. And you talk to people in the league, and it, it does not appear that Dwight Howard should be blamed for what happened in Houston last year, really. But physically, he wasn't the same guy. And if he's not the same guy, that's a lot of downside potential for them because behind him, they don't have anyone who can do what he can do or what Al Horford can do. So that's there's to me, there's just a lot of downside inside risk you know what if Kyle Korver takes another step backwards if he doesn't bounce back because you know everyone's hoping it was just because of the surgery he had and couldn't work out two summers ago but you know the age he's at guys fall off cliffs stunningly heavy eastern conference discussion by us today Washington's my team I think everyone's missing because John Wall's my player I think we'll think of differently by the end of the year I think he's been totally forgotten I think and I think he'll be great under Scott Brooks yeah, I think I did hear you mention this now that, that you mention it. I, I like them more than most people. I have them winning the Southeast Division uh, narrowly ahead of Atlanta and uh, Charlotte. But, you know, the, it was a pretty good team last year after the All-Star break, after they added Markeith Morris. Uh, they should be good defensively this year, I think, with Scott Brooks, who was able to put together some solid defenses in Oklahoma City. Uh, the one question, thing that worries me is their perimeter depth is a major question mark, especially if you've got Bradley Beal, who is likely to miss 20 po- games at some point this season. Uh, Tomas Sadaransky, their old second-round pick, who came over this year, played pretty well in preseason, but if you looked at Brooks's rotation in their preseason finale on Friday, he didn't play until the fourth quarter, and they went with Trey Burke and uh, Marcus Thornton as their backup guards. And then they're relying on Kelly Oubre, who's actually he's looked pretty good in the preseason, but he's probably going to play a pretty big role for them off the bench, too, and he's still, I think, 20. He was terrific in Vegas. Oh, no, he wasn't. Um, he, Vegas, this is a side note. We take college players, high school players, who were the man, who took every shot their team ever took in high school. They go to college for a year. They may or may not have taken every shot. They then have the most difficult thing of their career where they have to assimilate into NBA rosters as one of the guys, often being the third or fourth option. We then send them to Summer League and tell them to shoot every time again. 
It's what, we, it's what the Jazz did with Trey Lyles and the Wizards did with Kelly Oubre. And then we take them back to the season and say, and I need you to assimilate into a team. I, it, it's, a, it's a mystery to me on how we think this is going to work every time. Well, it, I mean, it explains, I think, why when I looked at this a few years ago, I found some pretty good predictive power to summer league for rookies and basically zero predictive power for experienced NBA players. But, I mean, to some extent, you want guys to, like, with Trey, you know, it's you want him to stretch his game and do things that he he wasn't even asked to do in college because he wasn't that guy in college and won't be asked to do in the NBA for a while, but eventually you might like him to do. Ubre. He probably doesn't need to be encouraged to shoot the ball every time. He, he probably is just going to do that on his own. All right. Did you have any players you wanted to say who you thought? Oh, please. Um, I had Andrew Wiggins and John Wall were my two. I think that for all the talk of Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins is going to be the player that benefits the most of Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I would agree with that because I think Towns would be just – he'd be great no matter what. And Wiggins, yes, I think – Thibodeau right now has the chance to change his career path from, you know, whether it's Carmelo Anthony, DeMar DeRozan has gotten thrown out there, to Kevin Durant. Scotty Pippen. Yeah. I don't know if he's got that kind of playmaking chops in him. So, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that one. Um, I should come up with one here, at least one. And I don't know. I don't, this, is, this is a struggle for me. He's not a player. You think, okay, D'Angelo Russell. I mean, maybe that's obvious, but just I think the whole off-court thing is going to be forgotten, and I think he's going to have a huge season under Luke Walton. What happens if Rudy Gobert really learned how to drive, dive to the rim and get 13 shots a night? Then, uh, then the Jazz are a lot more difficult to defend. Does it change our perception of who he is? Uh, it gives him a much better chance of becoming the Jazz player who, if they do play as well as the projections indicate, gets an all-star spot especially with Hayward being out and Favors maybe missing some time. There's no way a Jazz player is getting an All-Star spot. Damian Lillard didn't make the All-Star team last year. And Carl Anthony Towns still exists. So where's the spot coming from? Well, I think LaMarcus Aldridge probably the last year was kind of a, uh, a not, not quite an honorary vote, but you know the fact that he was the second-best player on a team that was winning 67 games, he was getting that spot. So I, I don't think he'll repeat... Um, Kobe's not repeating. So there's your two. So there's Lillard and Towns. Now you need to kick somebody else off the team. Don't be Dick Vitale and put 74 teams in the tournament. <laughs> I, I probably had a name in mind at one point when I wrote the column on first-time All-Stars, but I do not now as I'm trying to think of this off the top of my head. Top of your head doesn't have a lot on it today. You can come up with a player on top of your head. Now you can't come up with an All-Star top of your head. You're just bored of this. <laughs> I'm not bored of this, but I may be ready for the regular season to start. And it has started, and that is Locked on NBA with Kevin Felton. We greatly appreciate it. Kevin's the new owner of some Athletes Collective gear. Check out Athletes Collective with the promo code LOCKED, and you get 15% off. Trust me, I am. I didn't make it up. I am wearing it, right? You definitely are wearing it. And it's here. Look at it. It's nice stuff, isn't it? That's high quality. There you go. And also BetDSI, BetDSI.com if you want to play in the games. This has been Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Find your favorite NBA team and subscribe to the daily podcast provided by the Locked On Podcast Network.